Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, January 14th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's how we're making you smarter today. The U.S. is behind on genetic surveillance of the coronavirus. But first... He must go. He is a clear and present danger to the nation that we all love. President Trump's second impeachment is today's one big thing. Rather than actually helping American people in this time, we start impeachments that further divide our country. I call bullcrap. Stand up, man up, woman up, and defend this Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, including Donald J. Trump. That was Republican Lauren Boebert and Democrat Cedric Richmond yesterday on the floor of the House of Representatives, where the vote passed to impeach President Donald Trump for incitement of insurrection following the mob siege of the U.S. Capitol last week. Donald Trump is now the only president in American history to have been impeached twice. And unlike the first time, this vote was bipartisan, with 10 House Republicans joining Democrats in favor of voting for impeachment. With less than a week left in his term, there are a lot of questions about what happens next, which is why Axios co-founder Mike Allen is here. Mike, what does this impeachment vote say to you about the future of President Trump's leadership within the GOP? Nyla, this is the most members of a president's party that has ever voted to impeach him. But of course, most Republicans voted against it. And look at here's why. There's a new Axios Ipsos poll that shows that this is very much still Trump's party. And a majority of them think Trump was right to challenge his election loss. They do not blame him for the Capitol riot. And a majority of them want him to be the Republican nominee in 2024. So that's why there's a real X factor around whether or not he gets convicted in the Senate. You need 17 Republican senators. You can Count to 17, especially if the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, votes to convict, as he's indicated that he might. But it's very possible that we went through all this, and once again, he's acquitted. Let's talk about the timing of when this trial would start. Mitch McConnell has said he's not going to reconvene the Senate until they're scheduled to come back, which is the day before the inauguration. So do we have a sense of when the timing of this would happen? So there's a lot still to be figured out, including the trial. Like there's been talk about the split screen trial. Do you try to do it where half the time the Senate is working on confirming Biden nominees and the other half they do the trial? Do you do it all at once? And for both parties, there's big risk. The risk to the Republicans is that some senators are worried about making him a martyr by pursuing the trial. And similarly for Democrats, you've seen in President-elect Biden's public statements, he's a little leery of it. He's starting his 100 days. He wants people to be focused on the new mask mandates and getting vaccines. And instead, at least some of the time, is going to be very backward looking as they decide what to do with Donald J. Trump impeachment too. Mike, I'm just thinking about the fact that last Wednesday, all of this happened. And within seven days, the president has been impeached. How are you thinking about this historic moment and week in American politics? America changed in profound ways that I think we're only beginning to appreciate with the violation at the Capitol 
It's going to be like after 9-11, after the Boston Marathon bombing. There's going to be a lot of look back about what could have been known, should have been known. A country that was coming apart, not listening to each other, not understanding each other. That rupture now is even more worrisome, more apparent every day that the election of 2020, which was supposed to solve it all, solve nothing, determine nothing, America is still at war with itself. Axios co-founder Mike Allen. Thank you, Mike. Now be safe. Tuesday, more than 4,300 Americans died of the coronavirus, our deadliest day to date. Maybe you've seen the headlines in your state that a new, more contagious mutation found in the UK is already here in the US, but the CDC hasn't confirmed this. And Brian Walsh says that's just the latest sign of how far behind we are in the US on tracking mutations of the virus. Brian, why isn't the CDC on the same page as all the different states that are tracking this? Well, there's no real unified national system when it comes to doing genetic surveillance. What we have right now is essentially a patchwork system where you have some state labs doing it, you have some private companies doing it, and kind of feeding it into a CDC system. But the result is the U.S. is sequencing a far smaller proportion of the overall COVID cases it's experiencing than a lot of other countries. And when you say genetic surveillance, what does that mean? That means actually not just tracking how many cases there are or testing. It means actually taking those cases and genetically sequencing the genome of the virus that someone's been infected with. You can actually look at it and see, okay, is this viral strain infecting a person in Ohio or New York different somehow than other viral strains we've seen in the past? In the UK, where they have probably the world's best genetic surveillance system, they were really good with this. And so they were able to see that simultaneously in November and going into December, when the outbreak really took off in that country, they also saw the emergence of this new variant. And they began to connect those two things, did some tests, and discovered this variant almost certainly is 50% or more contagious than the variant that the UK and really the US have been experiencing throughout most of the pandemic. And so they said, we have to go with a really strict lockdown. And what we've seen over the last week or so in the UK is that cases have begun to decline really sharply. So that shows how this information, it's not just about science. It actually can feed into getting a much better and more accurate response to the pandemic itself. And Brian, what do we know about the effectiveness of the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines when it comes to that particular variant? As far as we know, there doesn't seem to be any difference in terms of the effectiveness of the vaccine against this variant, which is really good news. But that said, having a virus variant that is much more transmissible is in some cases even worse because suddenly you're getting hospitals that were already overloaded with the current strain. Suddenly you might be getting that many more people that overloads hospitals that leads to all kinds of negative outcomes. So this is really quite dangerous. So you want to keep an eye on that. You want to keep an eye, of course, if there are new variants that emerge in the future. All of this you really need to be looking to see. And if you don't look, you will not find it. There will be future pandemics. And if we can see them, that can really make a difference when it comes to trying to tamp down on a pandemic before it gets out of control. Brian Walsh is Axios' future correspondent. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Today, Axios is introducing an audience bill of rights, which is why executive editor Sarah Kehilani Gu is with us to explain why this is happening now. Nyla, I think it's something that we wanted to do born out of a crisis. 
We have this huge problem in our country right now, the erosion of truth. That's a huge threat to our democracy. We thought this is something that we can bring to our audience and tell them, here's how we want to earn your trust. And so there's a bunch of items here. Can you give us the highlights? I think journalists don't do a great job of this in general, is just explain what we do, what we promise, what our promise is to our audience, and why we do it. And it includes things like, you know, a real journalist's name will write every story. We're not going to have bots write stories. It includes other things like, we take responsibility for what we publish, and we want our audience to hold us accountable. Most importantly, I want to say, we are not about opinion. Our job is to give you facts. Our job is to inform. Our job is to provide analysis. But you won't find opinion content on Axios. What was at the top of your mind when you were formulating this with Axios co-founders Jim Vandehei and Mike Allen? The reason that we're journalists in the first place is that we believe in democracy and having a fair press, one that's focused on facts, and we want to do a good job of that, and we want to be accountable for that. That's executive editor Sarah Kehilani Goo. Sarah and Jim and Mike are also doing a town hall about this later today, which is why I wanted to bring this up to all of you listening. And I also wanted to add my own note to this. When I say at the end of the show that we love feedback and we'd love to hear from you, this is what I mean. We would love to hear what you think about this. Reach out to me at any time. Our email is podcasts at axios.com. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Nyla. That's all we've got for you today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.